All right, everyone, welcome to the Industrial Marketer Podcast, the podcast for industrial marketers and by industrial marketers in the manufacturing space. And I am one of your hosts, Matthew Shinella. And I'm MJ Peters. Today, we have a guest that's going to talk to us about innovation and how you can improve your innovation outcomes at your company. His name is Dave Loomis. Dave is the president of Loomis Marketing, a consulting firm specializing in voice of customer branding and digital transformation. Dave has worked with numerous Fortune 500 companies over the course of his career, especially in the B2B space. Dave has been an adjunct professor of marketing at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. He has an MBA from the Kellogg School at Northwestern. Go Cats! I'm also an alumni. He has a book coming out in December this year called Marketing is Everything We Do, How Serving Others Brings Success in Business and Life. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, MJ and Matt. So uh, we focus on industrial marketing on this show, and that really makes you a perfect guest given your experience. You've worked on some pretty interesting innovation projects and industrial companies, including leading a digital transformation project for a manufacturer of forklift trucks, leading a customer council meetings for a maker of concrete pump trucks, and serving as the interim head of product development for a maker of aerial lift platforms. So what I want to do is introduce everyone listening to an approach that you use called outcome-driven innovation. But before we get into that, um, I just want to get your take on a couple of things with regard to this bigger space of innovation within industrial and manufacturing. So to start us off, uh, given that you've been involved with so many digital transformation projects, how would you describe the state of digital transformation and innovation in industrial companies today? Yeah, I think that things are moving along pretty quickly. Um, obviously, a little different pace in, in, in every company. But I think that uh, as of a year or two ago, companies that weren't on this digital transformation path uh, really woke up and either, you know, we're, we're going to be left behind uh, or, or they, they just had this realization that they needed to to get their act together. And a, a lot of it meant um, kind of moving around resources, both, both capital um, investment resources and human resources. Uh, you know, there used to be a lot of people in marketing departments that, that did brochures and sell sheets and things like that in the old days. And those people have been, you know, now they're, they're doing digital marketing or you know, the, the sort of merger of IT and digital marketing, um, or even the merger of IT, digital marketing and product management or product development. Because when we do voice of customer work and we gather information from the field, what do we do with it? Um, and we're seeing companies uh, where their sales forces, service forces, all sorts of people that have contact with customers, customer service, they're all putting it into systems now, whether it be salesforce.com or contact management systems. And then that, that information is being processed, uh, you know, into this, into their own, um, innovation, um, kind of funnel. And so I, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm very optimistic about the state of digital transformation in industrial uh, companies. And uh, it's just, it's kind of about time, but it's great to see. 
Yeah. So it, it sounds like a lot of companies are mobilizing or have been mobilizing for, let's say, two to three, three to five years towards this objective of digital transformation, taking advantage of new technology. And given that people are, are really starting to jump on this bandwagon, I'm curious what your take is looking forward on the opportunity within industrial to leverage some of these new technologies and uh, implement innovation. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of opportunity and I think they're in the, the opportunity lies in a couple spaces. So if you think about the entire product development cycle, there's sort of the, the voice of customer um, part of it, which is maybe pre stage gate, um, you know, or the very early stages in stage gate and in product development. And, um, the, and then I think that the second one, which I'll talk about in a second has to do with, um, the sales cycle. And so it, which is at the other end of the spec, at the other end of that, of that, um, uh, you know, spectrum. So at the, at the front end of innovation, I think we're seeing what, what kind of the, some of the things that I just saw. Um, the opportunity is huge because um, when I get into talking about outcome-driven innovation, if you're if you're solving problems effectively for customers um, and more effectively than your competition, then you know the logic says that you should be gaining share. You're selling things for more than uh, than your competitors, so presumably you're making good margin, profitability. You can put it back into the business and you sort of got this, this great, um, success cycle going. Um, if you're not, then you're falling behind. So, uh, I, I, I do think there's a, a ton of opportunity though, though, um, right at that front end at the, at the other end, which is the sales end that I get very excited about that too. And I've been helping a lot of my customers with that, which is like sort of lead to revenue and, and that, you know, we're getting so much better. All, all of my clients and really the whole industry is getting um, so much better at taking leads, nurturing them, um, keeping track of them, personalizing, you know, marketing um, almost on a one-to-one -one basis to some people digitally, um, but then um, passing that lead along to either internal sales or dealer distribution networks and keeping track of that lead and, and giving that lead whatever they need in order to close a sale. And then we're, you know, we're, we've got the data on all that. So things that aren't working, we're not doing that anymore. Things that are working, we're doing more of it. So that's where sort of this merger of, um, I would say, you know, digital and innovation, that whole, the whole spectrum um, comes in. Yeah. Totally agree with that. I, I remember when I got the digital transformation started at, at Benzel when I was the marketing manager there, really the biggest adjustment was on the sales team more so than, you know, getting the marketing footprint modernized and more digital because for them, so much of it was, you know, paper and relationships um, and getting past, you know, leads and that kind of digital handoff and how that not only just having to deal with that whole way of selling, but how that stuff gets communicated to them. That was always, that was the biggest adjustment I think that they had to go through uh, even more than me saying, we're going to be doing paid ads and content marketing. So re really interesting um, observation there. 
I wanted to, to dive into how industrial companies can implement digital transformation successfully. So you are a, a well-documented fan of something called outcome-driven innovation. What is outcome-driven innovation for people like me who maybe are not familiar with that term? Yeah, the the, um, the term itself, I, I, I don't take credit for. Um, it, it, it's uh, If you want to learn more about it, um, about the, the, specifically the term, I suggest that that listeners um, check out um, Stratagen, uh, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-Y-N. Um, it's a company owned by um, Tony Ulwick is the, is the founder's name. And, and he has a couple books on the topic. Um, but a lot of people have picked up on, um, on this over the past 10 to 15 years and, and kind of made it their own, including myself. Um, I worked for another company called Advanced Industrial um, Marketing, uh, AIM, and, and that company has a process called New Product Blueprinting, which is front-end of innovation, and it, and it actually uses outcome-driven innovation, um, some of the things that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about. But essentially what it is, is... Um, focusing on the problems that our customers have that they're trying to solve. That's the way to put it in its simplest terms. And you've probably heard uh, the quote by Theodore Levitt from Harvard that says, you know, people aren't buying a drill, they're buying a, you know, a one inch hole or something like that. And basically therein lies the essence of outcome-driven innovation. Um, later, people like uh, Clayton Christensen um, uh, picked up on that and um, wrote some great books like The Innovator's Dilemma and Innovator's Solution, etc. And wound that into his his consulting practice as well. But so, what? Why? Why do we even focus on that? Why does it help to um, isolate the problem? The reason it helps is because. You know, you mentioned when Matt, when you were, you know, saying, "Hey, you're working with the Salesforce." Well, that, that Salesforce is going out there in the field, um, in you know, almost any industrial company, and they're calling on customers, they're building relationships, which is all great. They're talking to them, and when they hear somebody needs something, they click on their sales, you know, uh, sort of hat and the, their mindset, and the, and it they know what they have to sell and they start trying to sell it. Um, they don't always necessarily think about the problem that's being sold. They're thinking about what they have to sell and that there's a difference there. The other thing is that engineers sometimes go out in the field and they're actually trying to solve things before they even understand what, what necessarily the problem is. So the, the reason why, um, we try to isolate these outcomes is we want to um, first understand what it is uh, customers have challenges with. And um, when I get into this a little bit more, I'll explain there's actually many things. You could sort of break it into little mini parts. But, but overall, there's um, sort of a quote unquote job to be done um, that 
we're looking to help our customers with. That's, that's really our only reason for existence, if you think about it. Um, they, they don't, you know, I've heard, you know, that customers don't really care about our product. In a way, that's true. They care about what our product or our service does to help them do their job. <laughs> so, so that's what outcome-driven innovation is all about. The innovation part is if we understand those outcomes, what, what the customer is trying to accomplish better than our competition, uh, then we will uh, obviously we'll, we'll get ahead, we'll gain share, will be more profitable, etc. So it, it all sounds very simple, but I'm aware that it's really, it's really not that simple. But I think probably a lot of companies fall into the trap of assuming that they know what the customer outcome is going to be when they don't have a deep enough understanding of their customers to really create products that, that drive the desirable outcomes that their customers are really looking for those uh, based on those latent needs and unmet needs. Is that, am I kind of on the right track there? Do people sometimes assume they know what they don't know? Absolutely. They, um, especially when we have um, mature companies with customers they've been doing business with a long time that they, you know, they're supposed to know these customers. I have a couple of customers um, that also are tier one auto suppliers. And of course, the, the, there's not that many customers, okay, are obviously here, you know, Europe, China now, um, but the, it's still, you can count them on, you know, a couple hands, the major customers, and they've been doing business with them a long time. So they're supposed to know them. In fact, you know, you kind of get into it sometimes with sales guys who or people who, you know, are kind of embarrassed to ask some of these questions because they say, well, we should know the answer to that. And it, or, or they just say, well, we already know this. Or there aren't any unmet needs that we don't know about. There aren't any of these these outcomes that are, aren't satisfied. And the, the, it, it is absolutely amazing because all you have to do is just go try. And um, even with your best customer with, you know, having to do with a current product or application or service and just sit down and talk to them. Um, but specifically, you know, uh, earmark this time for, you know, exploration of challenges that we might not have talked about before. Um, completely open-ended um, with a promise, we're not going to sell and we're not going to solve in this meeting. So what problems are you having with, um, you know, your, uh, you know, sanding down, uh, you know, um, aluminum to refurbish aircraft. What problems are you having with that? You know, not, not a list of, of, uh, of, you know, here's my questions one to 10. Uh, are you, how satisfied are you, you know, with the sanding surface on a scale of one to 10? Oh, okay. And eight, thanks. Um, but completely open-ended and you're letting the customer tell you, um, seemingly randomly, what challenges they might be having. And it is absolutely astounding that what, what you get back. 
because they even if you think you know them so well, um, they'll tell you things that you've never heard before. That happens to me all the time. So I want to get into your process for running outcome-driven innovation. And specifically, we were talking before this, and you told me that you have a specific process for creating outcome statements that I think will be really helpful for people to hear about. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that is and how people can use it? Yep, absolutely. So uh, again, credit some of the credit to this goes to um, Tony Alwick and also to Dan Adams at AIM and, and others that I've, I've come in contact with and learned from over the years. Um, so the first part is to have a meeting that focuses on outcome-driven innovation. So it, it's a little along the lines of, of what I just mentioned, which is, um, you know, earmarking a, a sort of discovery session. And of course, these days that that can be accomplished so easily on, on Zoom or WebEx or Teams or whatever, video, audio. Um, it, it helps to have visuals um, and it, it helps to even like sort of um, uh, show your notes while you're taking it, um, while you're taking them, you're recording that uh, so that, so that your customers can, or they don't have to be customers, they could be prospects, but you're, you're choosing um, a certain application segment, um, uh, hopefully, and then you're, you're doing a deep dive with them into challenges they might be having with that particular application. Um, so an example would be uh, one of my clients, was one of the leaders in, I, I did mention sand, sandpaper, industrial sandpaper, which is used on orbital sanders. Um, it's very expensive. It has diamond pieces in it and so forth. And it's used in some pretty intense applications. And one of the application segments is aerospace refurbishment. So <clears throat> there's big hangars where airplanes are uh, with, and there's wings that need to be sanded down or maybe giant engine turbines uh, that need to be sanded down. And so there's people out there, you know, doing that, um, using the orbital sanders and sandpaper. And this process has been used with them to, uh, to try to get to the bottom of perhaps new things that we didn't know about. Um, that could be innovations. And I'll give you a very uh, specific example. Um, and part of this involves um, observation too. So there's, there's questioning, which is great. Um, it's always great to talk to people, but then to the extent that, you know, when we get <laughs> open back up and we can, we can go visit places. Um, and e but even if you can get people to give you virtual tours of stuff, I suppose that can work too. Um, but ethnography or observation can also be very important in this. Um, so the, the process of outcome-driven uh, innovation um, involves questioning to probe for um, outcomes that they're looking for, challenges that they're having. And you wanna collect a lot of challenges. Um, it's sort of like, uh, 
diverging and then converging. You want to diverge and collect a whole bunch of these challenges that they might be having, knowing that some of them are, you know, less important, but you want to eventually ask them to help you figure out the most important ones. And of those, the ones that are not satisfying them right now. So, um, and then you want to write an outcome statement, um, which is sort of a precursor to what you might hand over to engineering. That's what, that's really why you do it because you're starting the process of getting specific. Um, you're not solving yet, but you're, but you're trying to really home, home in on what the problem is. Um, so on our aerospace, uh, refurbishment example, uh, some of the, you know, you always hear that, well, your, your sandpaper is too expensive. That would be a very, <laughs> that would be a very typical, um, thing for someone to hear, especially a salesperson. And, you know, then they want to throw in the towel and they say research is, you know, <laughs> research is worthless. Um, we just always hear us. They just tell us it's too expensive. Well, sure. Yeah, it's expensive. Um, let's talk more about that. Well, what, what, you know, what challenges are you having? Well, I throw away a lot of it. Do you tell us more about that? Well, um, well, I throw it away, but I get, I get ticked off because the center of it looks like a brand new piece of, of, um, sandpaper, but the outer edge is, you know, is, is used, but I'm throwing away sort of, you know, area wise, you know, half a piece of brand new sandpaper. So that's why it's so expensive. Oh, okay. Why does that happen? I'm not sure. I mean, we we're, we're just doing our job sanding. Well, let's take a look. What are you doing? Well, I see that you're putting a lot of pressure on the outside edge of the sandpaper. Oh yes. Well, we have to, in order to, you know, get pressure on the wing or the turbine or what have you. Ah, okay. So what are you, you know, what are you really looking for in your ideal state? Well, you know, hey, we don't want to waste as much sandpaper, you know, we want to utilize as much of it as we can. Oh, okay. So you want to, you know, minimize the, um, minimize the uh, amount of waste of sandpaper from sanding, or you want to maximize the usage of, you know, an individual piece of sandpaper. Yes, that's exactly what we want to do. So the last part of what I stated um, was the beginning of what I would call an outcome statement. Um, it's starting to put some meat on the bones of, of, of what the problem is and what we're trying to solve for. Um, in the case of uh, the, the example that I gave you, uh, my client didn't try and solve that on the spot. They didn't say, oh, you should do this or you should do that. They just went back and they started thinking about it. And they, uh, they actually came up with the idea of a two-piece um, sandpaper where um, there would be a, a two-piece pad, a center disc, and then an outer ring. And sandpaper could be changed on the outer ring more frequently than the center disc. Now, that was just a total breakthrough from a customer standpoint because it totally addressed what they what their problem was. Um, had we not really asked about it or just said, oh, it's sandpaper is too expensive, we wouldn't have gotten to the bottom of that. 
or if we hadn't observed or asked the right questions. So that's, that's one example of, uh, of getting to an outcome and you know, eventually getting to a, an outcome statement. I've got a, got a couple other examples too, but I'll see if you have any questions. Yeah, let's get into the example, um, and then maybe I'll, I'll ask one last question after that. Absolutely. I'll try and make it quick. So you mentioned that I, I do some work with in the forklift industry, and this is a, a forklift example. And, um, you know, my client and actually some other companies in the business use forms of outcome-driven innovation, and, and one that was actually my client's competitor, actually. Um, I, I, and I found this story out because they, um, I, I'd sort of heard it. It was like sort of, I heard it through the grapevine and then the per, somebody from the competitor ended up coming working for my client. Um, and, I, and I spoke to him specifically about this example. So they went out and talked to um, a warehouse customer. And you can imagine that um, you know you're, you're you're a forklift company. So what do you do? Well, you make forklift trucks that that lift stuff, and there have to be specifications on on height and and, and aisle width and um, weight and counterweight and ergonomic, all this kind of stuff, right? And you're thinking, wow, this is a highly engineered machine doing a very, very important task. When you're in warehousing business, you know, that, again, you're not buying a forklift, you're buying the movement of something from one place to another. And you don't want that upset. You want that to run smoothly. You, you, you think that if you were to come up with a survey of set questions, you know, you would go down and you know everything there is about that warehouse. And, you know, you've been making these things for decades. Well, they went out and they did some open-ended questioning and observation and they're out there on the warehouse floor and they're just at the end of their conversation they've been like at it for an hour just like i just said and they they so finally you know just maybe one more question you know what what other problems are you having you know can you think of anything else and they just sat and waited and it was very awkward and it is but you just wait and the person is racking their brain and they're coming in there. And sometimes they're thinking of something that, you know, they didn't know was a problem or they didn't think it could be solved. So, so the response was, well, I know this might sound crazy, but, you know, look over there at those pallets. You know, they come in wrapped with this poly strap, which is the clear plastic wrapping to hold different numbers of boxes into a pallet. Well, we clip those off because we're breaking the pallets. We're putting things away and we clean it all up. I mean, you can look, see our facility here. It's very, very tidy. But once in a while, one of these poly strips gets left on the floor and one and forklifts run over it. And usually it just gets run over and that's OK. But once in a while, it gets wrapped up in the axle. And when it does, it can get caught in the axle mechanism. And here we got this 35 year, you know, $40,000 forklift running around. It goes out of service. In fact, we actually keep a spare, it sounds crazy, spare forklift truck, $40,000, just because sometimes they run over poly strips and 
you know, get out of service. Oh, okay. So let's learn more about that. There was a lot of probing conversation and finally this outcome statement. Okay. So you want to minimize the probability of a poly strip um, wrapping around the axle. Yes. I mean, we would never have brought that up, but, you know, we just thought we'd throw that out there. It's, you know, it seemed like a little thing. Um, well, they went back. They didn't try to solve it there. They went back and it turns out they put a, they put a $3 um, razor blade mounted on the axle underneath in just the right place so that if a poly strip did catch and start to wrap, the, the blade would cut it off, okay? That is not a high-tech solution, but it's a beautiful solution and it worked and it made the all the difference in the world. And, you know, a customer was actually able to eliminate the <laughs> needing an extra whole forklift truck for that. Um, so, I mean, that's just a, a beautiful example to me of, something that would never in a million years show up on a set uh, agenda or survey that you're going out to ask a customer. It only comes out when you ask them open-endedly and when you are looking for these outcomes. I love that story. Um, that is such a poignant example of exactly what you're talking about. And I have also been in that situation where I'm the person across the table asking, what's less than ideal about this? What's a frustration? And just asking the same question like five different ways. And it does feel awkward when you're doing it, but it, it, you're right for the person answering the question. It doesn't feel awkward. My, my final question to you, just um, because I'm cognizant if I was trying to implement this, I would be um, curious to know, are there traps to avoid when you're writing an outcome statement or things that could make your outcome statement less effective? Yes, there are. That's a great question. I think that there are a few uh, things that I would suggest. Um, one is um, to get to the outcome statement. Think about um, listening better to how a customer responds to your question. They're going to give you three things. Uh, they fall into three different categories. Okay. One could be an outcome statement or, or an outcome, which is, which is terrific. Like I want to minimize the time required to do X. Well, that's great. They've given it, you know, on a silver platter to you and you just need to probe and find out more, but they might say something like, um, well, we have uh, 35 forklifts in our fleet. You know, that's an answer to what problems are you having? Well, we have 35 forklifts in our fleet. Well, that's not a problem. It's a piece of information or background. So what you've got to do is steer that towards an outcome. So you need to steer that. So, so oh, so how is that a problem for you? Well, it's hard to keep track of those forklift trucks. Um, so, and, and another one would be a solution. So let's say that, um, uh, the, the one, you know, just going back to our uh, poly strip example, let's say that they said, hey, you know, those cow catchers on the on the front of train old fashioned trains, you need to put one of those on the front of your forklift truck. That might be another response. 
in which case you you know they've given you a hint like why would they think of that you know so you need to steer that back and say oh what would that do for you oh well it would keep us from running over the poly strips um it would push them out of the way oh you run over poly strips what happens then and you can see you get to the outcomes so that's one thing i would suggest is learn how to steer uh towards the problem second is um, make your outcome statement very specific about only one thing and um, to test this pretend like you're an engineer who has to be on the receiving end of the outcome statement and has to solve it and 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 come up with a, a, a you know the solution so don't put um, don't put two things in an outcome statement like because they might be conflicting. So let's say you're making a coating, you know, you're making ingredients for paint. Um, the, the paint needs to um, uh, maximize uh, hardness and, uh, you know, paintability. Well, those are two different things. So you would break them into different outcome statements because the solutions might be completely different. The other thing is you want to be very, um, objective and avoid subjective terms. So let's say you want to say you want to maximize uh, the the beauty of something that does. That's not helpful to someone. Well, what does that mean? Or I want to maximize the gloss or the shine or the, um, you know, uh, I don't know, different properties because it's all going to come back to, especially industrial companies, it's all going to come back to people actually having to put formulations together or machinery or other things to solve problems. And if you've mixed those things up or not been specific enough, then it confuses them and they, you know, their head explodes. <laughs> that was great. Uh, Dave, I know you have a book coming up. Um, I would love to give you the platform here to talk about what that book is about and let everyone know when it's coming out. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I um, It's coming out in early December and it has some elements of what we just talked about in it, uh, among other things. It's called um, uh, Marketing is Everything We Do. And then the sub kind of subhead is how serving others uh, bring success in business and in life. And I think it, it, it comes back to something that we talked about earlier, which is just curiosity, really. Like, um, how, do, how, how can we be really good at outcome-driven innovation? Well, we can, we can be really good at it by caring, by actually authentically caring and serving our customers. Like, if we realize that they're really our whole reason for being. Um, it, it, it seems like a simple concept, but I think we, we tend to forget that because we, we get wrapped up um, in our own companies and everything we have to do. If we have a successful product or service, uh, we build overhead around it, people, um, rent, um, factories, machinery, whatever it is, systems, um, expense. And then we put pressure on sales to go out and sell it, sell the stuff we already make because uh, we need to cover our overhead and we need to pay all these people. 
And if we do that too much, we can lose sight of, uh, of really customer needs and how they change. And so I have sort of a, a concept in there called servant innovation, which is, you know, really being a servant to your customers uh, and, you know, the people who are really what we're doing this for. So I have a, I have a, a little bit about outcome driven innovation as it fits into kind of the whole, the whole cycle of product management. But, but my point is that, you know, everything we do is really marketing because it's focused on, on, uh, on serving others. And as an individual, uh, we marketing is everything we do too. So, you know, MJ and Matt and everybody listening, um, Everything that we do, really, uh, that's visible to others, everything we say or wear, the way we appear on Zoom these days, um, all these things are part of our personal brand. And we actually have control over that. Uh, and, and so if you're aware of that and also you have aspirations to make a bigger impact in life um, or at your company or what have you, then you can activate that by being aware and then taking actions to, you know, be the person that you want to be. Um, so that's really what it's all about. I love that so much. I just think, especially in today's day and age, that just couldn't be more true about just the current state of companies and people. Um, I had a CEO told me over and over again that, I don't pay your salary, our customers do. And so if you have that mindset as you approach your job, especially from a market in, in a marketing aspect, it usually will serve you well because you'll be about, as you said, serving your customer. So it's just a great takeaway, I think, to, uh, to end with. So Dave, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, that was Dave Loomis, who is president of Loomis Marketing, and he has a book coming out in December called Marketing is Everything We Do, How Serving Others Brings Success in Business and in Life. Uh, I would highly recommend you guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, to check that book out. I'm sure it is full of goodness, uh, just like just like what Dave has been imparting to us today. Um, you can catch the Industrial Marketer podcast on all of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Please subscribe to the Industrial Marketer podcast. Please leave it a five-star review, and please leave us a written review. We love reviews. Uh, any, any review we get, one-star, five-star, makes us better, and we appreciate it. Um, you can also find MJ or myself on LinkedIn. Please direct message us. We love getting questions and comments from you. They fuel our ideas for episodes, and we had an episode that came out just this past week where someone did ask us a question and we made an episode out of it. So please, if you have any questions for us, reach out, let us know. And we may, and we may just make it into an episode. And so with that, I am Matt. And I'm MJ. And this is the Industrial Marketer Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.